Welcome to the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. It's Indiana. Watford for the win! Yes! Yes! Unbelievable! Your daily home for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. Welcome to Indiana basketball. Smart takes the shot! And the Hoosiers with three seconds. Go ahead. Indiana wins the championship. Keith Smart is the hero. When my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Now here's your host, Matt Dennison. It's Indiana, what I feel is the pinnacle, the absolute pinnacle of all of college basketball. Hello and welcome in. Monday edition of the program. Glad to have you with us and a ton to get to today because we had Hoosier Hysteria on Friday night, which was ultra entertaining and a lot of things to talk about from that, about the upcoming season. Mike Woodson was great. He is funny. He is good on a microphone, at least I think so. We'll tell you more about that coming up. Also, uh, we got to get to IU football as well. The Hoosiers with a a good first half, I think you could say, uh, fell apart a bit in the fourth quarter. They seem to have really tough uh, problems figuring things out down the stretch. And Michigan goes on to win by a sizable score. But the Hoosiers look good in the first half. They were competitive against a very good Michigan team. And I think that is uh, something to be hopeful about. But obviously many, many other struggles with this Indiana football. And most of those were evident once again in Saturday's game. And including an IU football coaching change uh, after the performance and the loss to Michigan on Saturday as well. It's amazing. We're seeing more immediate changes, not just with assistant coaches and position coaches, but also head coaches in the Big Ten. And and it's not just the Big Ten. It's kind of becoming a trend across the country. So we'll talk about that coming up a little bit later as well. We'll get to some headlines here in just a moment. Let's look at the show lineup, a service of Honey Baked Ham in New Albany. Segment one will have those headlines for you, some basketball and football stuff and some high school things coming out of the weekend as well. Also, later in the show, Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star will join us. We'll start with Hoosier Hysteria. We'll get into football. We'll talk about the coaching change announcement that came out yesterday from IU Football and more when he joins us. And then later in the show, Justin Soakland. He's a former sports writer here locally with the Courier-Journal, has covered Southern Indiana high school sports for years and years, and currently writes about Bedford North Lawrence Athletics for WBIW.com, the radio station in Bedford. He's going to join us to help break down some of the sectional pairings, specifically the 5A sectional involving New Albany and Floyd Central and a lot of the Hoosier Hills Conference teams. So he'll be our guest in segment number three today. we got to go through some of those pairings and tell you what high school football in the postseason looks like. We are headed to the final week of the regular season on Friday night and high school football postseason coming up following that. That's the show lineup, a service of Honey Baked Ham in New Albany. Don't forget to check out their dinner package deals which are being offered. You can dine in, take them to go, and curbside service is still available as well at Honey Baked Tam in New Albany. And don't forget, we're headed to basketball season, so I'd love to get more of you texting into the show. Uh, Often you guys give me great ideas, great questions for our guests, topics maybe that weren't on my radar or on my list for today, and you can send that kind of stuff to me during the show at 502-414-414. 1450. Again, 502-414-1450. 
1450. So save that number in your phone. That's the Thornton's text line. Thornton's is the perfect stop for all the best pick-me-up items you need to get your day started, like their fresh coffee and delicious donuts. Let's get into some headlines from over the weekend. Obviously, Hoosier hysteria, a big deal. And there's a number of things I want to share with you and talk about today from Friday night in Bloomington. So let's start there. Remember, before Hoosier hysteria, Indiana had its first ever that I can remember and at least advertise pro day. And according to multiple reports, there were 25 or so NBA teams represented with personnel to watch Indiana's roster go through what we assume is a pretty standard practice. There could have been some measurements and some other skill things, but obviously an opportunity for Indiana to be seen uh, by NBA scouts. And Jeff Goodman of Stadium uh, is in contact with a lot of a lot of people, including NBA scouts. And uh, he said, uh, and he tweeted this out, uh, that uh, some of the NBA scouts there, very high on Jalen Hood Shafino and uh, what they think his prospects could be. In fact, the tweet specifically from Goodman said, quote, the best NBA prospect at Indiana is Jalen Hood Shafino, and it's not even close. His shooting needs the most work, but he's not bad. He'll make enough shots for it to not be a huge issue. I think his career here will be short. So, again, a lot of praise, a lot of buildup to Jalen Hood Shafino beginning his Hoosier career here very soon officially. Uh, there's been a lot of reason to think he'll be a starter. There's been a lot of reason to think for uh, that he'll be a very uh, contributing freshman, which we don't always see. Uh, and now hearing that type of praise from NBA folks, there's reason to be believe, I think, that Jalen hood Shafino could maybe wind up, maybe at the beginning, maybe not, but wind up being a star uh, on this football team. That's the kind of player and the kind of talent that he has, I think, moving forward. Also, uh, from Hoosier Hysteria, Mike Woodson, I I think we got to hand it to him. He's really good on the mic. Got everybody pumped up uh, as the event got underway. And uh, he had had some interesting things to say. Somebody asking what's next after getting Indiana to the NCAA tournament last season. And he didn't hesitate at all when he said a Big Ten title and a national title. That is a very confident coach, and I think this team came off very confident on Friday night as well. And he also had a great quote. I don't even think I can say it on the air, but he he was very positive about Indiana basketball, saying that, Indiana basketball is, insert a cuss word, but still uh, at the top of its game. So uh, Woodson, good on the mic, good to pump up the event. Just a different feel uh, uh, all the way around about him, uh, I think, compared to Archie Miller and Tom Crean and recent IU coaches. It's just it's just much different. I know that there has to be stuff protected about the team and injuries specifically, but you just feel like you're getting more of what's really going on and more of an honest answer. It's not prepared stuff with him all the time. And I guess at times that's probably really good for fans. Other times maybe for the program it's not so good. But definitely he was a big part of pumping up the crowd. A good crowd, uh, an entertaining crowd, on uh, a youthful crowd on Friday night. Of course, the big concert afterwards. Snoop Dogg had a message on the video uh, board to uh, to the team, encouraging them to take all the direction they could from Coach Mike Woodson, which was, I think, probably a bit of an added surprise. But as far as on the court, no real big things to mention. Anthony Leal did come in 
with a walking boot on. He was the only player that didn't participate in any of the competitions that were held or the brief six-minute scrimmage on uh, Friday night. Uh, so again, a walking boot can mean a lot of different things. It can mean uh, a very non-serious injury where you're just trying to keep uh, keep off the foot, basically, uh, or the leg, or it could mean something serious. So who really knows, and we probably won't know until we get further into the season and see what the situation is with him. But he was the only noticeable player that had an injury. Of course, Trey Galloway with a big surgery in the offseason, but he participated in things on Friday night and appears, from what we know, to be ready to go for the upcoming season. So um, overall, I think a fun environment, uh, a festive environment maybe is the best way to say it, and a little bit of basketball. Some of the skill stuff was fun. Uh, Coach Woodson being honest that you're only getting six minutes of scrimmage because these guys went through an intense pro game pro day practice uh, earlier in the day with NBA scouts there. So uh, definitely uh, probably not the basketball you're we're always hoping for uh, in the Hoosier Hysteria event. I know people would love to see a 20-minute scrimmage and really get a feel for the players and see who can do what, but uh, it is what it is. And I thought a great way to start the season with a lot of fanfare. And uh, I expect to see that place rocking early and often this season with the type of preseason love the Trace Jackson Davis and now Jalen Hood Shafino and the team overall is receiving with uh, the season just around the corner as well. So again, that's a look at the Hoosier hysteria, a couple football things as well. Indiana, I thought the first half was fairly solid. I know that, you know, you got to play well in the first and second halves to have any chance to beat a college football playoff caliber team like Michigan. But the second half was pretty bad, specifically the fourth quarter. And for the second week in a row, Indiana did not score a touchdown in the second half of play. Uh, Second half yardage read like this. Michigan, 263 yards. Indiana, 29 yards in the second half total. In the fourth quarter, Michigan, 134, 134 yards. Indiana, a negative 12 in yardage in the fourth quarter. So that tells you uh, just how bad this Indiana team was coming down the stretch in the second half. No Cam Jones, no DJ Matthews. Struggles running the ball. Obviously, we're aware of the issues with the offensive line. I think that probably is issue A, B, and C uh, with this Indiana team. And that's why on Sunday afternoon, after the loss to Michigan, we received in our inbox about mid-afternoon that Indiana coach Tom Allen uh, announced he was firing Darren Hiller, uh, who was the offensive line coach for the Hoosiers. That position is going to be assumed by former IU player Rod Carey. He will take over the O-line position going forward this season. Carey, a former head college football coach himself at Temple and Northern Illinois, and he had been involved with quality control. So a little bit of a lesser position from him here recently for the IU football program, but Coach Carey going to take over the O-line moving forward. And there's no question, I think anybody that has watched this team for any amount of time against any level opponent would tell you that the offensive line is a major issue for Indiana. I don't know about Basilak, how I would score him so far this season as the starting quarterback, but I do know this. 
he doesn't have much room to work. He doesn't have much space to get anything done because of the woes from the offensive line. So uh, that is IU football in a nutshell. I think, uh, hey, they were competitive in the first half against a, a good Michigan team. I know there was a stoppage in play with Mike Hart. Uh, Michigan assistant had a, had a seizure. He's a former IU coach as well. Uh, so you hate to see that. It sounds like he is, is, is doing okay, and that's most important. But it was kind of an awkward first half with that delay of about 10 minutes or more. Uh, And Indiana, though, I mean, credit to them. They kept it close. I really thought, if you heard me last week at all, on IU football, I've acted like the season is over. It's time to talk about basketball. Hoosier hysteria is here. And uh, obviously, you know, as we talk about uh, basketball getting here, football is still going to be important. But, you know, when you're losing the way Indiana lost to Nebraska and others, it's hard to get excited about it. So anyhow, IU football, that I think summarizes where things stand. And the the bad news is for Indiana, the schedule doesn't really get all that much easier as they move forward to future weeks. Really no surprises in high school football. We're going to get into that some a little bit later in the hour with uh, Justin Soakland, who's in today in place of Chad Gilbert. We'll go through the pairings and talk about the weekend. But most of the scores from Friday night I thought went uh, mostly like I thought they would. And so we'll recap high school football and get into how the pairings shook out as they came down from Indianapolis yesterday a little bit later in the hour. Don't forget the Thornton's text line is open. That number 502-414-1450. Again, 502-414-1450. We'll head to a commercial break. When we come back, Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star to go through Hoosier Hysteria, IU football, the coaching change with football, and more. This is the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. We're back on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. You know, a basketball hero around here is treated like a god. I mean, I- Join Matt Daly at 11 a.m. for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. Here's Matt Dennison. All right, we're back here on this Monday program. Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star with us as we talk the latest with IU basketball, football, and more. And, boy, it's plenty to get to coming out of the weekend. Don't forget the Thornton's text line is open, that number 502-414-1450. Again, 502-414-1450. Zach, I'm not even sure where to start. There's so many headlines coming out of this weekend. I think we'll go to Hoosier Hysteria on Friday night first. Your overall take on fan interest and how the event was produced and maybe a takeaway or two from the actual team and the players at the big season kickoff on Friday night. Yeah, I mean, I think as we discussed last week, these things are always kind of first and foremost a pep rally, a recruiting tool, et cetera. Um, I, I think it's fair to say Indiana aimed a little higher this year, and, and not just the concert. The concert was kind of the, I guess, the showpiece part of it, if you want to say, but it, it really did feel like Indiana just wanted a a different vibe, I guess, to, to this, that, that, you know, maybe not feeling quite so paint by numbers as as these events sometimes can that's not a criticism of any one coach over others it's just that you know it it, it, at some point you feel like if you've been to one of these sort of I guess what we we used to call midnight madness events you've been to a lot of them I think Indiana wanted a little bit more electricity it wanted a little bit more crowd engagement involvement there was a DJ there were students on the floor 
Um, you know, there weren't a lot of sort of protracted speeches, which I think actually helps kind of pace these things a little bit better. Ultimately, again, it's a pep rally, but that, that means that largely people are there to just kind of cheer and be excited and engaged. Obviously, the concert was very well received with the students, uh, with the teams, both the men's and women's teams. So I think it, that went well. And, you know, I mean, in terms of takeaways, you obviously always want to be careful. I mean, Mike Woodson, you know, literally got on the microphone and said, I'm only going to give you all six minutes of scrimmage time, um, basically because Indiana had a pro day earlier in the day. And, and I always feel compelled to remind people that, you know, these teams nearly always practice on the days of these events because they have to count them as practice days if the coaches are watching in the gym, watching players on the floor in any kind of basketball activity. So you were getting kind of the, the you know, the, the last of what Indiana had on that particular day physically. But um, I just thought there was a confidence that, that kind of oozed out of, again, both teams. You know, the, the men on the men's side, I think they feel like a, a justifiable, you know, sort of certifiable Big Ten title candidate in Woodson's second season. On the women's side, obviously there's been some turnover, some players that have graduated and moved on, but there are some exciting transfers and, and generally just this sense that, you know, Indiana women's basketball competes for Big Ten titles now. Even if even if some of the faces change, the expectations don't. I just it was, you know, absent maybe the, the twenty twelve, I guess it would have been the twenty twelve Hoosier hysteria ahead of the twelve thirteen season where Indiana was preseason number one in the country in the men's side. And there was just so much sort of hype and expectation and, and anticipation. That is just kind of, I guess, is, for lack of a, a more artful term, sort of swaggering Hoosierist area as I can remember. And we'll see if, you know, time will tell whether that was justified or not. But I just, I thought it was palpable, both teams just feeling sort of so confident and displaying that confidence for everybody to see. Yeah, very interesting for sure. Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star, my guest, talking Hoosier hysteria and IU basketball to begin the segment. Zach, one of the things I wanted to bring up, I guess it's kind of funny from Friday, is Mike Woodson. And he is a funny man. We've talked about his swagger and his personality before, but he had a couple funny things to say on the microphone. You mentioned that he told fans, I'm only giving you six minutes of scrimmage because of the pro day. But he had another little interesting quote that I don't even think we can repeat on the on the radio, on the air, that was uh, was quite funny and drew a lot of reaction on social media. He, he a funny guy. Yeah, I think he gives about as much of a, a you know, as, as what we can't repeat as what he said on uh, on Friday night. I think there's some... I think there's a few different things to Woodson that, that, that really fit that job. Number one, I think he's got a natural confidence that I think is, is only kind of bolstered by the fact that he's been a head coach at the NBA level. And I, don't, I know it means a lot to him to be head coach of his alma mater, but I think there is an extent to which he looks around and says, I was head coach of the Lakers, or not the Lakers, excuse me, the Knicks. You know, I, I, won, I won conference titles with the Knicks and the Hawks, like, there's nothing that I'm going to see or do here that's, that's going to intimidate me, essentially. Um, I think he just, I think some of that is also just his personality. Um, you know, I mean, he, listen, that's, that's hardly the first time he's used colorful language with us. And, and it, you know, it rarely feels like it's for effect. It just feels like it's kind of, you know, who he is and, and how he talks. I promise that, that siren's not for me. Um, at least I hope it's not. Um, you know, who he is, how he talks, how he behaves. And, and I think, it, I mean, listen, I, I think it endears him to his kids. I think it endears him to his players in some, some very sort of fundamental ways. And 
you know, I, I think we've all been guilty at times in the past of projecting, not just at this job, but any job, a coach's personality onto his performance and saying, well, because he acts like this or says this or does this, that means he is this or his team will do this. Um, I, I just think, generally speaking, I think that the, the biggest thing I can say about Mike Woodson is he's just very relaxed. And I think that comes from his, just his, his personal sort of, just his personality. I think it comes from his obviously immense experience in basketball. I think mean, it comes too from you know the fact that he doesn't have to. I don't know if this is quite the right term, but he doesn't have to prove himself to people around here. And that's not necessarily to say that he's going to be the coach forever, no matter what he does. But you know, I think that be, because of, of Bob Knight or because of Kelvin Sampson or just the timing of different things. There have been coaches in the past who have felt like they've had to prove something about themselves to IU fans. I think both because he's Mike Woodson, a former All-American at IU, and also just because he's Mike Woodson, confident person, like he just has that natural confidence about him. I don't think Woodson feels that way, and I don't think he needs to. And I think some of that comes across, too, in those settings where he can be like, listen, you know, and, and I'm, I'm ripping off of, of my, my deep colleague Dustin DePirac's points from our podcast on Friday night, but... You know, I'm going to bring a rapper in here, and that may not be the way it used to be done, and that may be something that, that isn't necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but, like, I'm going to do it, and you're going to accept it because I'm like, Woodson. And he can he can get away with that in a way that, like, Tom Crean couldn't probably not have quite pulled off in year two. Archie Miller probably couldn't have pulled that off in year two. Woodson can, and it's, it's partly because he's a former player, but I don't think it's completely because he's a former player. I think it's also just because – that's kind of his personality and who he is. Yeah, definitely interesting stuff. Zach Osterman, the Indianapolis star. Uh, anything else from Hoosier Hysteria? Anything noteworthy from a player? I know Anthony Lill made his interest with uh, entrance with a, a cast or some sort of brace. I think it was on his leg. I can't even remember now. But anything injury-wise, performance-wise, uh, anything at all from, from Friday night before we get into some football? I think the only Really big thing for me, you mentioned Leal in the walking boot. Um, everybody else played, though. And, and listen, it wasn't a – it was hardly the most enthusiastic scrimmage of all time. Um, you know, th- there was almost – I mean, maybe they were a little tired. There was almost a sense, going back to that idea of confidence, of, you know, the, the men's team kind of just being like that, – that confidence, that sort of unstated confidence that says we know we're good and you'll see it when it's time to see it. You're not going to see it tonight because we don't need to prove it to you. We know it's there, and when you need to see it, when it matters, don't worry, we'll turn it on. Um, But, you know, I mean, a year ago, and even thinking back to kind of coming out of the Bahamas, Indiana was was banged up in some ways. You know, I'd I'd have to go back and look at notes and tweets and all that, but if memory serves me correctly, Indiana had to hold – a handful of players out of its scrimmage at Hoosier Hysteria a year ago. The only person who wasn't participating on uh, on Saturday or Friday night was Anthony Leal because he said he was in the walking boot. It seems like Indiana's health-wise pretty good right now. Now, obviously, listen, you know, all it takes is, is one unlucky practice, and that can change. But, um, you know, a, a team that for all the world looks maybe not just more talented but also deeper and more confident than it did a year ago, um, health is, is one of the first and, and sort of most fundamental things that can undermine a team like that, and it seems like Indiana's got good health right now. Zach Osterman, the Indianapolis star, with us here on this Monday program. Let's get into football now. I think the biggest uh, headline coming out of the weekend isn't necessarily 
the Indiana-Michigan result where the Hoosiers were, were beaten, but I think it's that Tom Allen uh, announced uh, yesterday afternoon a immediate change in his coaching staff, and that's that Darren Hiller will no longer serve as the offensive line court coach for the Hoosiers, and that Rod Carey, a former IU player who's been in a lesser position, I think you could say, on Coach Allen's staff, is going to take over that position moving forward for the rest of the season. Surprise? Um, uh, is this huge news for Indiana? Did you see this coming? Uh, what was your reaction when this hit your inbox on Sunday afternoon from IU? Um, you know, I, I guess what I would say is that it felt possible, maybe not probable as recently as Saturday night. You know, I know that a lot's been made recently of the idea that in-season firings are becoming more common, and we actually saw a couple other, a couple of coordinators removed. I think Rutgers fired their offensive coordinator um, on uh, on Sunday as well and elevated their tight end coach to interim OC. You know, I, I think Tom Allen has, has always tried very hard not to be a, a, a terribly sort of overreactive coach. Um, you know, so much about kind of his his style and his approach in terms of sort of, you know, mutual respect and mutual buy-in. I'm going to buy into you and you're going to buy into me and, you know, sort of our our investment in and confidence in and faith in one another is, is you know, one of the, is the intangible that's going to help us sort of overcome the extra 1% we need to achieve something unexpected or whatever. Um, you know, the, I think that the one thing I'll say is it just at some point you probably do feel like like red lines, you know, have to exist somewhere. Indiana's given up 15 sacks in its last three games. Um, even if Indiana doesn't want to run the ball prolifically, it can't even run the ball effectively. Uh, 22 quarterback hurries in the last three games, and quite frankly, that number feels generous. They gave up seven sacks on Saturday, and Michigan was only credited with four hurries. It felt like a lot more. You know, you, you obviously made a change at offensive coordinator last year, and Tom Allen told me and Dustin in the sit-down interview in, in early May, you know, he basically just said after some, some tough conversations with everybody involved, he felt confident moving forward with the status quo at the offensive line. And I know people will say, well, was it because the you know, money had already been spent on the, the coach or the, excuse me, the offensive coordinator or whatever. Whatever Tom Allen's reasons, um, he decided to, to try and go back to the well one more time at offensive line. But it clearly wasn't working. And I think that this, this was one of those moments when Allen was probably justified in just saying, a change has to be made. Um, Rod Carey is—he joined the staff last offseason. He's a former Hoosier. He was, you know, at, at one time, you know, if I think back to, to 2015, not that there was ever a, you know, a, a hard and fast candidate list formed, um, but you know, in 2015, Kevin Wilson, if he doesn't beat Purdue, goes five years without a bowl game at Indiana, and at that point, Indiana probably is forced to make a change for for competitive reasons. Rod Carey at the time was the head coach at Northern Illinois and probably would have been a candidate for this job. I don't know if he would have been the leading candidate for the head job at IU, but certainly would have been a candidate as a successful MAC coach and IU alum. He went to Temple. He eventually went to Temple, and things kind of didn't work out for him there, and, and he wound up back in Bloomington. Um, the point is, there's some pedigree there. You know, he was a good offensive line. He was a good offensive lineman, and then he was a good offensive line coach. That was basically his entry point into moving up the ranks and becoming the head coach at Northern Illinois, where he had a lot of success. So the resume is there. 
Um, the one thing I would caution people is the resume was there with Darren Hiller. Darren Hiller had some really impressive years, I think particularly at South Florida on his resume. This looked like an obvious step up for him. And ultimately, I, you know, I think the offensive line, I wouldn't say it's been terrible for all the last six years or five and a half years or whatever, because I don't think that's fair. But it it is certainly sort of never felt like Indiana got the the full force of, of probably what it hoped when it hired Darren Hiller in 2017. So, um, you know, ultimately it's not just about a coach. There are other factors involved. But, you know, the, the coach is, is, you know, the, the kind of the easiest thing to refresh in a situation like this. And I think Tom Allen probably felt, and we'll hear from him later today, like he just kind of he, he crossed a, a Rubicon in that regard. All right, Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star, my guest. Zach, uh, we got to talk about the actual result from the football game. Indiana kept it close, and uh, really, I guess, until was it uh, in, the, in the fourth period where Michigan began to pull away, began their charge to not only win the game but put some space between them and the Hoosiers. So how do you score? Did, did Indiana do a struggling Indiana team, uh, keep, uh, keep its own, hold its own against, a, we think, a very good Michigan team for half or more of the game? Or did Indiana fall apart in the second half? And we've seen their scoring really come to a halt in uh, recent games and second halves, and, and things fall apart for the Hoosiers against Michigan. How do you see this one? No, I, I think Indiana was good value for the way it competed for probably about three quarters in this game. I mean, if, if you go back and, and watch the film, I mean, quite frankly, Indiana defensively was dominating the line of scrimmage against what what it certainly looks like one of the most physical teams, really one of those physical running, rushing teams in the country, uh, in Michigan, and, and a, a Michigan team that is very much cut from the cloth, at least in, in terms of what we've seen so far, of some of Jim Harbaugh's best teams in terms of being able to you know, be really physical up front, control the line of scrimmage, run the ball downhill, and set everything up from there. Indiana was controlling that line of scrimmage for long periods of the first and even maybe the early part of the second half through parts of the third quarter, making plays in the Michigan backfield, bottling up Blake Coram. He had that one long run on Michigan's first drive. And other than that, you know, Indiana kept kind of a lid on him for a lot of the game. Um, and I even thought Indiana offensively was doing some good things you know, obviously with a couple of empty drives in the first half, I thought Walt Bell had, you know, kind of found a good rhythm calling plays at a couple different points in the first half. But it really did sort of feel like basically Indiana got to a point where it just couldn't move the ball. And, and maybe even more than that, And you know, no quarterback will ever admit this, and I understand why. By the end of the game, it looked like Connor Bazelak just, just, you know, visibly had very little faith in his offensive line and very little faith in his protection. And obviously Indiana was throwing the ball a lot because they were playing from behind by that point. They needed points. Um, but, you know, he was, he was playing too fast. He was, you know, he's bailing on pockets quicker than he should. It just felt like he felt like he needed to be ready to be on the run, you know, almost permanently in some ways. Um, and, again, you, if you want to talk about kind of maybe what leads Tom Allen to decide he's got to make a change along his offensive line, you know, it's it's when when the rest of the offense seems to be losing faith in its ability to block, then you know that that creates some some pretty fundamental problems, some obvious ones, but some some very sort of foundational ones as well. And so I think I think Indiana, I think Indiana actually had a better offensive first half than maybe the numbers bore out. I certainly think it had a very good defensive first half. I think that's the sort of performance that if you get a good 
if you get that performance against Maryland and Rutgers defensively and you can improve it all offensively, you've got a chance in both of those games. Um, but ultimately, I think Indiana just kind of buckled under the weight of not being able to do anything effectively, efficiently, or consistently offensively in the second half. And, you know, that's probably part of the reason why we wind up where we, we wound up with the news yesterday and what we're talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star. Zach, thanks for a great start to the week with lots of insight on IU. And we'll talk with you again next Monday. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, as always. All right, we'll head to a commercial break, come back with our final segment of this Monday program. Justin Soklin is going to join us. Justin, a former sports writer for the Courier-Journal, also writes about Bedford-North Lawrence Athletics to help break down some of the local sectional football pairings that we learned yesterday evening from Indianapolis. Postseason football is almost here. We're headed to the final week of the 2022 regular season. We'll head to a break. We're back with Justin after this on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. We're back on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. Let's win this and for all the small schools who never had a chance to get here. Join Matt Daly at 11 a.m. for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. Let's win for Coach. You got us here. Here's Matt Dennison. All right, we're back here in the final segment of our Monday show. Justin Soklin, he covers Bedford North Lawrence Athletics for WBIW.com and is a, a real legend of Southern Indiana high school sports as a media member over the year. Uh, over the years, joins us to talk a little bit about football pairings and high school football as we get ready for the final week of the regular season and the state tournament just around the corner. Justin, thanks for carving out a couple minutes for us today. Boy, you're very liberal in that use of the term legend there, son. <laughs> Absolutely, but uh, you, you are. We appreciate all of your coverage over the years. Um, a lot to get to uh, as the pairings came down last night. Um, what, what stood out to you as far as local teams here in southern Indiana? I know your focus is on Bedford, but you've done a great job over the years keeping up with all the area programs. Anything strike your fancy for the local pairings here? Well, there's a couple of games stood out. Number one, Silver Creek. Uh, that should be the most competitive game in that section over in the first round. Uh, they drew Jennings County. That's a winnable game for them on the road. Uh, and the rest of the three games in that, in that bracket with B&L at Shelbyville and, uh, and Martinsville and East Central big favorites, those should not be competitive games, but that game should be. So that's a very interesting game right off the bat for Silver Creek. Absolutely. Uh, and then uh, New Albany's got a tough road to go uh, because they've been struggling on defense. Jeffersonville got bumped back up to 6A, and that's really tough because you got Center Grove. And, uh, but then you got Providence down there in, in the uh, uh, Class A with, uh, with uh, Tecumseh, who uh, is coached by a former BNL coach, Brett Sabo, and they're 8-0. Yeah. So that'll be a very, that'll, that sets up to be a very good semifinal there. Whoa. So, the, so I'm, But I'm looking at BNL, of course, and uh, my good friend uh, Brian Gleasing, who coached at Floyd and Jeff, I had lost track of him, and lo and behold, he's coaching at Shelbyville. And that's BNL's first game in the tournament. So I talked to him briefly on the phone last night, and uh, and I apologize because my voice sounds like him at the end of a football game now. <laughs> but um, uh, he he's done a really good. He's got a long road to go up at Shelbyville. He he took over. They had lost twenty six straight games, uh, and uh, he won a game last year. They won a game this year. 
but they're in a really tough conference with New Palestine and Pendleton Heights and some other places. So they've got they've got some work to do, but it'll be good to see uh, Coach Gleason in the first week of the sectional up there. Justin Soaklett of WBIW.com, my guest. Justin, I think my first takeaway last night as I perused through all the local teams and who they drew was, my goodness, these sectionals are spread out. This is something that's for years now been an issue in football. I mean, it's unbelievable where Silver Creek has had to go in recent years to play, and it, that, that's just an example. There are many other others that you could point to, but from 1A to 6A, there is quite a stretch geographically in all these sectionals, and there have been some changes in classes. There have been some reassignments in sectionals here in recent years. It's almost a little bit foreign to me, honestly, uh, because there have been so many changes and there's so much distance between so many of these teams that could play each other in the future weeks here. Uh, if you're at Silver Creek and you win that first-round game, do you want to have to travel to East Central? Wow. <laughs> do you even know where that is? I mean, it's, it's two hours from here, so add another hour for, for Silver Creek. I mean, that's just ridiculous how far out, how spread out that sectional is. Yeah. Uh, but, but, I mean, if you look at Silver Creek, no matter where they go, I mean, the rest of those teams in there are Edgewood, Martinsville, BNL, Shelbyville, Greenwood. They're all up north. And uh, so that, that sectional was compiled because of what happened with BNL going down in enrollment and going from 5A to 4A. And then they had to find somewhere to put them. And then so they broke up the sectional, which I really liked last year's sectional with Floyd, New Albany, Jeff, and BNL. That was a competitive sectional. All four of those teams had a chance to win it almost every year, and four Hoosier Hills Conference teams, and that was just a great sectional. And but then they now they've broken that up because of enrollment changes. So uh, you know again now, now we're two years of, of you know having to travel two plus hours for a game on a Friday night, a little bit ridiculous. But I don't I don't envy the IHSA having to deal with all this because of success factor, moving people up, and enrollment changes, and all the other things that go into this. It, it's it's not going to be fun for anybody, and. Uh, you know, and, and as a coach, a good coach will tell you, no matter who we play or where we play, we, we need to beat who's in front of us and go from there. So they'll, they'll deal with it. Absolutely. Justin Soakland, my guest. Justin, looking at our local teams here in Clark and Floyd County specifically, I paid probably most attention last night to the 1A sectional with Providence and also the 3A sectional with Charlestown. Those are the two teams that have had great seasons. I think you can look from start to finish. And a little bit of a sidebar note, this happened, I think, was announced on Friday after our show but Providence, who really I thought I called it an upset at the time, uh, defeated Charlestown in the regular season. Providence actually has to forfeit that game because they used an illegal player, and there's some other things going into. It. I don't think there was any intentions on that from Providence, but just something slipped through the cracks is is what I see or what I've read. But with that said, uh, Providence goes back to adding a loss. Charlestown is back to having an undefeated season. Regardless of that, I think both of those teams have to be the front runners when you look at locals that could maybe put together a string to a sectional championship. But in 1A, Tecumseh, your former coach Zabo there from Bedford, he's got a great ball club this year, and Charlestown will face some real challenges in their sectional as well. Yeah, I, I look for Providence to have success against Springs Valley. Springs Valley lost uh, a couple of really good playmakers from last year uh, and uh, didn't and has 4-4, that's not bad. Uh, but Providence is obviously in that game is, is going to be favorite. Then it's going to be a matter of dealing with Tecumseh. Uh, but don't forget about the bottom of that bracket when you got West Washington sitting there too. So uh, that's going to be a tough sectional. No matter who wins that sectional, it's going to, they're going to earn it. Uh, Charlestown, you know, they've got history on their side. Uh, but then you look at that sectional, my goodness, 
Uh, North Harrison and Southridge are both quality teams up in the top of that bracket. Heritage Hills always plays a tough schedule down around the, you know, that area of Southern Indiana, and they're always tough to beat. So, uh, again, if Charleston wins that sectional, they're going to have to earn it because uh, Southridge, I think, is probably the, the favorite in the top of that bracket, uh, and, and it just depends on then where that game will be played. But it, you know, and we don't quite know that yet. But uh, I think that's going to be an outstanding uh, championship game if it comes to fruition. Uh, both those teams are pretty good. Absolutely. Talking with Justin Soakland, he covers Bedford North Lawrence Athletics for WBIW.com as a former sports writer with the Louisville Courier-Journal for many years here in the area. Let's talk a little bit about the Hoosier Hills Conference this year. Uh, Seymour right now at the top of the conference. They handled New Albany on Friday night in a big way. They are 5-1 and one in conference play. Bedford right behind them as, as well as Columbus East. They both have 4-1 and one records. And locally here for us, uh, Floyd Central, a two-win team in the conference. New Albany with two wins as well in the conference. Also, Jeffersonville, no wins in Hoosier Hills play this season, at least to this point. It's It's been a different conference this year. The dominance of Columbus East has faded a bit, and maybe other teams that we thought could uh, could make it a very competitive conference that hadn't panned out for them. It's been, it's been hard to put a finger on it because you've got certain teams beating teams that I didn't expect. Uh, East losing at Floyd Central fourteen to twelve. I mean, a tough game. But then East, but then uh, Floyd turns around and loses that BNL on a last second field goal. And then they lost to Jennings County, which uh, that one really surprised me. So it's been hard to put a finger on exactly who's going to pan out. Seymour uh, lost to East, but then you know, they turned around and beat everybody else, including uh, BNL quite handily in the regular season meeting there. Now BNL plays East this week, and whoever wins that game gets a share with Seymour. And uh, as you said, East is no longer the East that we remember of the last 17 years when they won 96 conference games in a row uh, after last year. Seymour finally ended that. Uh, they've, got, they've dropped down a little bit, but they're still dangerous. They still run the football, and they're still tough as nails you know, up front. So that's going to be a, quite a challenge for BNL. Uh, and BNL was the last team until Seymour to beat them in the conference all the way back to 2006. So it, it's, it's, they've got history on their side. But the conference... You know, New Albany has been down. Uh, you know, they had a great run last year. They lost a lot. Uh, they struggled defensively to stop people. They've given up, I think, over 40 points five times, which is not a, which is not a uh, recipe for success. You've got to be able to play defense. So that, that's hurt them. Uh, Jeffersonville has had some injuries, I know, they did against BNL, and the game that BNL come back and won in the second half of that game. So it, it's just been hard to put a finger on exactly who wanted to step forward and win it. In the end, I think the Seymour – is probably uh, probably the best team, really. I mean, the, the teams I've seen, not having seen East yet, but uh, Seymour from top to bottom, uh, a pretty solid team. All right, you mentioned earlier Jeffersonville bumped back up to 6A that class this year. Uh, they drew Columbus North, and what a sectional that is. I mean, Indianapolis, Arsenal Tech, Perry Meridian, Warren Central, Southport, Center Grove, Franklin Central, I mean, uh, not all those teams are necessarily powerhouses by any stretch of the imagination, but we all know Center Grove. We all know Warren Central has been really good over the years. And just the sheer mileage between those schools from top to bottom, from Indianapolis all the way down to Jeffersonville here at the Ohio River is is unbelievable. But a very tough situation for Jeff, who is just barely in the bottom of the 6A class. And to take that a step further, and you touched on this, Justin, but 
I so much miss the days when we had Jeff, New Albany, Floyd, and really an all Hoosier Hills Conference sectional. Not everybody, but most, like we do in basketball these days. That that was fun. It, there were some natural rivalries. There were some rematches. Even if the game wasn't a good one in the regular season, it's a rivalry game. You could throw that result out for the postseason edition of that contest. I miss all that. And, boy, Jeff got maybe the toughest uh, uh, draw of everything just because they're in 6A. Yes. I mean, you look at that sectional, they drew Columbus North, but then Center Grove is sitting right there with them, and Center Grove is defending state champion, and they've been a power for a long time. And uh, they, they got the short end of that realignment when, the, when Jeffersonville got moved up again. Uh, because just think back two years ago, uh, Jeffersonville struggled in the regular season, but then caught fire in the sectional, surprisingly won that sectional. And uh, so, you know, anything can happen in the postseason, as you mentioned. And I, I'm looking at B&L sectional here, and I was going through the, you know, you mentioned rivalries. Of the eight teams in that sectional, four of them they've never played in the history of their program. I mean, that's just that's just unusual at this time now because BNL's been a program since 1974, and there's four teams in there and they've never played. And Shelbyville's one of them. So it's just there's no real sense of rivalry there that you get in other sports. You know, you mentioned basketball, the conference. That sectional is all rivals all the time, and they love beating each other, and because they're familiar with each other. Uh, whereas this sectional now, uh, they don't know each other. And so it's really hard to develop that sense of rivalry. But, again, that's what class uh, sports has brought to the table. Absolutely. Justin Soaklin, my former boss at the Courier-Journal, we had a lot of good (laughs) years together, and it's great to find a way to keep you on uh, the radio program from time to time. And I'm sure as we move through the football postseason and we get into uh, basketball season, there'll be a reason to talk about uh, Hoosier Hills Conference stuff again. So, Always enjoy it. Hope you're doing well, and uh, continue the great work there from Bedford. Well, man, I appreciate it. You know, it's, it's always fun to talk to you and your co-host down in New Albany, especially that guy that runs the boys' basketball team. I kind of <laughs> like him. So, so just be careful, and, and, and we hope to see you guys here uh, here in the wintertime. Absolutely. Justin Soklin, WBIW.com. That's the Bedford radio station and where you can read his coverage of Bedford North Lawrence Athletics. Justin, thanks. We'll see each other soon, I'm sure. Okay, be careful, man. And just to kind of recap things as we head out today, Columbus North and Floyd Central, the draw for the Red Devils in 6A. We know it's been a really tough season for Jeff. In the local 5A sectional, and I guess I can still call it a local 5A sectional, Floyd Central and Evansville North drew each other, and Castle will play New Albany. The good news is if both of those teams, locals, Floyd Central and New Albany, win, they will play in the sectional semifinal round. So that would be fun, but I don't have any hope that they both can win. Floyd possibly, New Albany probably unlikely to get to that sectional semifinal round. 4A, the local sectional, the local team in that sectional is Silver Creek. They'll take on Jennings County. So an opportunity for about a 500 Silver Creek team to pick up a win in the postseason. And then it would probably be tough in the second round because they'll take on the winner of Edgewood and East Central if they're victorious against Jennings County. In 3A, that's probably got the most local flavor. Scottsburg and Corden play each other. North Harrison and Southridge play each other. Those winners will hook up in a semifinal. The bottom half of the bracket, Madison and Heritage Hills. And of course, Charlestown and Salem. So Charlestown 
will get a good matchup in that semifinal round if they can beat Salem in the rematch game and take on a very likely Heritage Hills uh, in that 3A sectional semifinal game. 2A sectional, obviously uh, some local entries there as well, and Providence in 1A. Got to note the Providence Pioneers take on Springs Valley in that first round. They could see West Washington potentially in that second round game. And Tecumseh, who is 8-0 and uh, on the season, they drew South Spencer and, and will get North Davies in the, in the second round. North Davies drew the bye. So uh, it could be and should be, I think, a Providence-Tecumseh sectional championship game, and that could be a lot of fun as well. So we'll see how that plays out. A lot of attention on that 1A sectional with the Pioneers and the great season that they've had this year. That's going to wrap things up for this Monday edition of the program. If you missed the live show, you can always locate us as a podcast. All you got to do is search for the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll find us there. Back with you Tuesday at 11 a.m., this is the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison.